And I invite you tonight to take your Bibles to the book of Jude, whichever chapter you want to go to, Jude. And uh, I do just want to say thank you to all those who uh, just have been so uh, such a blessing in um, praying for us as we have made the, the move down here and then those who've helped and uh, in various ways. And uh, we just appreciate you so much. Uh, you've been in our prayers as well, and I know that this is uh, probably for some an exciting time, probably some mixed emotions for many. I know there are some for my family, some mixed emotions and things, and, and uh, it's, we're excited about what God has here, but there's always some sadness and leaving behind those that we've come to love and serve the Lord alongside of. And so if you would, just be in prayer, especially for our kids uh, at this time as they make the adjustment as well. We would really appreciate that. And uh, we're excited about what God has in store uh, here for Mount Zion Baptist Church and uh, excited to be part of that. And uh, we, uh, we may not know you all that well, but I want you to know we love you in the Lord. And uh, we're excited to serve the Lord, the Lord alongside of you. All right. So let's, uh, if you're in the book of Jude, let's stand together tonight and we're going to read uh, here some verses. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but I would like to uh, begin by uh, starting in verse number one. We'll read a few verses and then we'll skip ahead a little bit. So, Jude uh, chapter one, verse one, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved. In Jesus Christ and called. By the way, if you're saved, that's you. So this book is addressed to you. You are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ and called. It says, Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained unto, or to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look down, if you will, please, to verse number 17. It says, But beloved... Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost... Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the privilege and opportunity that we have here tonight to open your word and to listen to these words of admonition, encouragement, and even rebuke, perhaps, Father. But Lord, I pray that as we listen, that your spirit would take your word and drive it home into our lives that you would speak to us individually from the truth that applies to all of us. And, and uh, I pray, Lord, tonight that if there be uh, someone here who's without Christ, maybe they've 
been in church for many years, but they have never personally received Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that tonight they would see that, that they would be honest with themselves and before you about their condition, and that they would get that settled with you tonight, that they become a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. But Lord, for those of us who are saved, those to whom this book is addressed, I pray that you would help us, Lord, in these last days in which we live, to be ready and prepared to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And Lord, help me tonight as I preach your word to say only the things that you would have me to say. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take complete control of me, my mind, my mouth, uh, and just use me, Lord, to be able to proclaim your truth to your people and uh, be glorified, Lord, in the things that are said and done here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This book, and the reason that we read the first few verses here of the book of Jude is because it really kind of lays the foundation and gives us an understanding of the purpose for which this book was written. Jude, the, the brother, the, notice he calls himself the servant of the Lord or of Jesus Christ and brother of James. We believe that this Jude was the, was the brother of Jesus, but he identified himself as a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. But he, he's writing here, he said in verse number 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. So he, in other words, when I sat down to pen this letter to you, my desire, my intention, my goal was to write in reference to the common salvation. Now, if you are a child of God, you and I have a common salvation. We have the Lord Jesus Christ in common. I said earlier, just a few moments ago, that we don't necessarily all know each other that well. You don't necessarily know me that well. I may not know you that well, but the reason I can say that I love you in the Lord is because we have a common salvation. And whether I know you that well or not, you're my brother or sister in Christ, and I love you because you love him, and I love him, and we have mutual love for one another. And this is a common salvation that we share. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jude is saying, my desire was to write unto you regarding this common salvation. That was, I was giving all diligence to do that. But notice he said, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So in other words, I'm writing this book. My, my wish, my desire was that I could sit down and just talk to you about how wonderful salvation is and how great it is to be saved and, and just to encourage you and to, to lift you up in some ways. But it was, unfortunately, it was necessary, it was needful for me to actually write to you in a little bit different tone and one to, to, to really encourage you to be ready to stand for the truth, to, to contend for the faith, to understand that even though salvation is wonderful and we have a lot of things to rejoice in, that there may be some opposition to the faith. And notice he uses those words, the faith, that you're to earnestly contend for the faith. He's speaking of that body of doctrine to which we believe to be true from the word of God, the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, the, uh, everything that the word of God teaches, particularly in regard to, to salvation by grace through faith and all of the essential things that the Lord told us and taught us, uh, the things to which we all hold and things we hold dear. And, and what Jude is saying is it's needful and necessary for me to write to you and prepare you to be ready to stand up for the truth 
and to contend for the faith. Why is that important? Because verse 4, he says, For there are certain men crept in unawares. In other words, there are some false teachers. There are, there are those who are going to resist and oppose and seek to cause you to stumble and fall. And therefore, I'm writing to you to prepare you to earnestly contend for the faith. And this book, this short book of only 25 verses long, is primarily in reference to apostasy that takes place in the last days, and ungodly people that once named the name of Christ, and all of the things that happened in, in history and God's judgment upon them, the things that are happening today, and ultimately the judgment that is coming. Now that may not sound all that encouraging to you, but the reality is that we are living in the last days, we're living in the last times, and there are those who oppose the faith. There are those who oppose the truth, the word of God, and are seeking rather than to build up. They're seeking to tear down, and they're seeking to, to lead others astray. And you probably know, and I certainly have known many over the years, who have become casualties of this war that we're talking about. Those who have been led away and led astray into error and wickedness, and their lives have been shipwrecked because of sin... And Jude is writing and he's saying it is, it's important, it's necessary for you to be ready to stand, to be grounded so that you can earnestly contend for the faith. Now the reality is, I mentioned a moment ago, we are living in the last days. <clears throat> and there are, in these last days, many false teachers and false prophets that are seeking to lead you astray and are seeking to lead me astray. The Bible clearly teaches that in the last days, this is going to happen. Perilous times will come, the Bible says in 2 Timothy in chapter 3. And so here, even all these years ago, Jude is writing, and he says in verse 4, there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he's saying that these men are crept in. In other words, these people that he is referring to are not just those from without that are seeking to attack and, and to tear down, but there are sadly many times even those within those who would name the name of Christ, those who may even be uh, members of a, a Bible-believing church that would, 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 would uh, be one of these people that is, uh, that is a false teacher or, or that is turned aside to wickedness, there are certain men who are crept in unawares. It reminds me of the book of Acts in chapter 20 where Paul there is, is warning the Ephesian elders uh, as he's telling them that he's not going to see them anymore. He said, I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. There are going to be those who would, would seek to come in and destroy the flock, and they're going to come from the outside, but they're going to come in among you, and like wolves in sheep's clothing, they're going to convince you that they are one of you. And, and you have to be aware of that. And then he even said... Also of your own selves shall men arise. Remember, he's talking to a group of elders, pastors, and he says, some of you 
are going to become these wolves. In other words, we have to be aware that in the last days, there is a falling away that is going to take place. And in fact, hold your place here in the book of Jude. Go back to 1 Timothy in chapter number 4. And notice what, what the Bible says here in 1 Timothy 4 and verse number 1. I don't know whose water this is. I think I maybe left this here last time. I hope so, but if I just contracted COVID or something, you might want to stay away from me. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, again, these last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So in other words, I want you to notice this, that he says that some shall depart from the faith. That means if someone departs from something, from somewhere or something, it means that at one time they were there. When you leave here tonight, you, you are at the church house now. When you leave here, you're going to depart from this place and go somewhere else. You're going to go to your home. And so the idea is this, if there are those who are going to depart from the faith, it is going to be those who are part of the faith. In other words, we don't only expect that there is going to be opposition from without, from those who've never known the Lord, who've never been, you know, one of us, if I can put it that way, but we ought to expect that there are going to be times that even people who looked like they were Christians, who maybe even served alongside of us, and, and we thought everything was great and okay, they are going to fall away. They are going to depart from the faith. These things are going to happen. And boy, that's a hard thing for us to, uh, to accept or, or to, um, to understand maybe because it's, it's very difficult when, when someone that we thought was a child of God and, and had a heart for the Lord, when they just turn away and they go after lies and they go after false doctrine and they go after the wickedness of the world and, and uh, that's a, such a terrible and, and tragic thing. We hate to see that, but it, it happens, folks. It, and we ought to expect it and understand it is a sign of the times in which we live. Some shall depart from the faith. Those of you who've been here long enough, been in the house of the Lord, and you can probably testify of some people that you've sat with in these chairs that are no longer serving God, that are no longer believing the truth and and, and I'm not just talking about those who, who change in some different areas and kind of get backslidden, and, and God can deal with those people, but I'm talking specifically about those who simply depart from the faith, and, and you look at them and you say, boy, it doesn't look like they were ever even a, a saved. You know, they were just a tear among the wheat. Remember that even within Jesus' church, there was a devil, Judas. And Jesus called him a devil. He was the son of perdition. But no one could believe that Judas would be that. So there, there will be apostasy that happens in the last days. And these, this apostasy is going to be marked by false teaching. Those who are going to seek to lead astray and lead away from the truth, it's going to be marked by fleshliness and lustfulness. Notice again in Jude in verse number 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. Listen to this, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness 
Now, lasciviousness is a big word that means lustfulness, sinfulness, fleshliness. It, 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 it is often in reference to um, the, the sins of immorality and things of that nature, but the idea is just a, a fleshly, lustful type of wickedness, and these people are turning the grace of God into that. Now, put your thinking cap on with me for a moment and ask yourself, do you know of anyone or anything that takes the grace of God and turns it into something that is fleshly and carnal and wicked? Do you know that there is an entire movement today in the world and and, and within Christian circles, there's this movement that teaches that the grace of God gives us a license to sin. In other words, there is literally a doctrine that is being promoted out there that basically says because we are not under the law, we are under grace, Jesus' blood paid for all of our sins, therefore, the Bible says all things are lawful for me, so there is no more sin for a Christian. If you're saved, you basically cannot sin. Because of the grace of God in your life. That's actually being promoted and and taught from pulpits across America. This idea that you can, because you're under the grace of God, you can do whatever you want to do. And I just want you to know that if that is your understanding of grace, you've totally missed the point of grace. The, The concept of grace is this. God is righteous and holy and just and good, but we are not. And we do not deserve to have access to His presence. We don't deserve to, have, to be able to even come before His throne. But as we sang this morning in the song, His robes for mine, that Jesus took all of our sin upon Himself so that we could take His righteousness upon ourselves. And now we have access to the Lord. We have Uh, We can come boldly under the throne of grace. We are seen by God the Father just as righteous as His Son because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But listen, that grace is not an excuse for us to go out and live carnally and ungodly. It actually exists so that we can draw near unto God and that God can purge some of those things out of our lives and make us Christ-like. The book of Titus says that the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Praise God for that. But then he also says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and fleshly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. So the grace of God does not give us a license to sin. And to do so is to be like one of these people that are crept in unawares who are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, fleshliness, lust fullness. But this is happening. There's going to be apostasy and sadly it is often those who even came from among us. First John 2 and verse number 18 says that they went out from us for they were not of us. For had they been of us they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not of us. The reality is that in churches just like this one across the world tonight, and perhaps even in this place. I don't know your heart. God knows your heart. But perhaps even in this place, there are tares among the wheat. There are those who 
want people to believe that they're saved. Maybe they themselves believe that they're children of God. But they are, they're not. They are fruitless. Notice uh, in verse number 12 here in the book of Jude, it says, These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Listen to this. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit. Then listen to this. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Now, if you were to go back and read in John chapter 15, as Jesus talks about the, uh, he is the vine and we are the branches and that, that God the Father's will and plan for us is that we would bear much fruit. That's his plan for his people. But he also, Jesus also told the Pharisees that one of the things that they do is that they seek to make converts unto themselves and that they, really what they produce are converts who are Twofold, the child of hell. Here, he says they're twice dead, plucked up by the roots. In other words, these are people who were never saved. They were never able to bear fruit because they weren't children of God, but they were clouds without water. They looked like rain, but they weren't. They, they looked like a tree, but it wasn't because it didn't produce good fruit. And so these are people who are lost, but they're entered in among the sheep, and now they're, they're leading sheep astray. And this is happening all over the place. And, and by the way, if that is happening here in this place, and you're one of those, you look at your life and you say, you know, I really am not a child of God. I've never been saved. I've never really received Christ. He's never changed me. If that's you tonight, I just want to say, there, you still have hope. You can, you can get that settled with God tonight. He can deal with that tonight and change you if you'll just receive him. But here's the thing, with all of this going on, it can be a very discouraging thing for God's people. Would you agree with me tonight that it can be difficult to live a godly life in these last days when not only does it seem like we're on, under constant attack from without, but sometimes even from within, we see those people all around us that are being led astray and Boy, it can be a, a discouraging thing to live amongst all the apostasy of the last days. But I want you to notice that as we look down here to verse number 20. He says, but ye, beloved. In other words, all of these things that I've just talked about, the ungodliness and the wickedness and the attacks against the faith. But ye, beloved. You are not of that. You're not part of that. If you're a child of God, you're separate. You're a different thing entirely. But ye, beloved, and here is our response, what we're supposed to do in these last days. Notice he says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Then listen to verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Maybe it would seem as though the Lord would say to us, hey, in these last days when there is so much wickedness, so many attacks against the truth, so many attacks against Christ-likeness and godliness, in these last days, you know, arm yourselves with good arguments and, and be ready to stand up and debate people and, and be ready to really, 
you know, grit your teeth and dig your feet in and, and just fight back against the oppression and the, uh, um, the obstacles that are in front of you. But I want you to notice that's not what he says. In these last days, how do we respond? What's the most important thing for Christians to do today? Keep yourselves in love with God. Now, it is important for us to mention here because some people have stumbled over this verse before. When it says, keep yourselves in the love of God, some people have thought that somehow that that's saying, I need to keep myself in a place where God can still love me. But I want you to know that that is very erroneous. <laughs> if you've ever read that and thought, boy, I, I have to do something so that God will love me, I just want you to know you understand nothing about the love of God. Because the truth is that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the reason that we love him is because he first loved us. And God came down to us and reached out to us not when we were lovable. Okay, you're good enough now, son. I'll love you. No, totally the opposite. We were putrid and wretched and wicked and vile. And God said, I love you and I will do everything necessary to redeem you unto myself. So if God approached us in that way, with that kind of love, what would make us think that somehow there's something we have to do to maintain his love? That's, that, that's totally foreign to the scriptures. Here is the concept. When the Bible says keep yourselves in the love of God, it literally means keep yourself in a place where you love God. Keep yourself loving him. Because the, the reality is tonight that though God loves us unconditionally, we have a tendency to fall out of love with Him. We go after other things. We love other things other than God. We love ourselves. We love money. We love, we love entertainment. We find things to love, but God is to be the object of our love. One of the lies that we're often sold and often told to believe is that we cannot control who we love. You hear people say that all the time. I can't control who I love. But that's not true either, is it? Because when Jesus was asked, what is the first and great commandment? He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. In other words, you have a choice. If it's something that's commanded, it's something that you can choose. It's something to be obeyed. You are to love God. Husbands, love your wives. That's a commandment. Love, not the world. That's a commandment. So in other words, God tells us you can control who you love. You, you, you do have some responsibility in this. And in these last days, the greatest thing that you can do is to keep yourself in love with the Lord. Because your love for God will keep you from falling. <laughs> His love for you reciprocated back to Him as you draw closer to the Lord and draw nearer to Him and learn to stay in love with Him, you will build up yourselves. He said in verse number 20, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I want to just say here, notice he says, but ye beloved, building up yourselves, verse 20, on your most holy faith. How can you build up yourself on your most holy faith? How can you grow in your walk with God? Well, to build yourself up on the most holy faith, 
Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Get in the Word of God. Read it. Study it. Fill yourself with the Word of God. You know, when you, when you read the Bible, uh, you shouldn't just be reading it for, so that you're, you can fill your head with facts and knowledge. You should read this book with the express purpose of knowing the author of the book. I want to read it so that I can know him better. And if you read it with that mentality, you get into the Word of God and you study it, I'm just going to tell you, I don't believe that you can get through this book without falling in love with the Lord that much more. As you start to see him for who he is, I mean, to know him is to love him. I mean, he is so wonderful. The only thing that keeps us from loving God is that we don't know God. If you know him, you'll love him because he's just so wonderful. He's so far beyond anything we could ever imagine. And as you get into the word of God and you study it and you grow in your knowledge and your love for him, you know what will happen? You'll find stability in your life. Notice that the, one of the marks of these, these certain men that are crept in unawares, these uh, false teachers, those who ha- have gone out of the way, one of the, the, the identifiers of these people is that, let's look at verse 12, the, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, listen to this, carried about of winds, carried about of winds. Now we heard this morning in the Sunday school hour, Brother Jedediah had a, a great lesson on uh, just the, the body and, 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 and growing together and serving together and working together. But we read there in Ephesians 4 and verse 15 that we are to henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. These clouds without water, they're blown about, they're carried about Notice also that says trees whose fruit withereth. Uh, It's like a a tree that, or or some kind of a plant that grows up, and when the sun beats down upon it, the the leaves and the fruit of it wither. Uh, I am not a green thumb. I wish I had a green thumb. We've planted a garden several times. I'm trying to grow in my ability to plant things and grow things. But I haven't had a lot of success at it for some reason. One of the problems is if I can get something to grow up out of the ground, a lot of times it seems like there's either not enough water or too much water. There's either not enough sun or too much sun. But this year um, we planted, I forget how many tomato plants. But we, we planted a bunch of tomatoes. And I said to the boys this, this last spring, I said, uh, in a few weeks here, we're going to have tomatoes coming out of our ears. I mean, this is going to be great. You know, we're just going to. And we planted those things, and, and they went from this little plant, and they just grew up. And I, I'm watching those things like every day, and I'm seeing how much they're growing, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be good. We're going to get a real harvest off of this, you know. And those things grew up, and they sat there. And weeks went by, and a month went by, and a couple months went by, and we didn't see a bud on those things. And I thought, man, this is terrible. And finally we got some tomatoes, but it wasn't nearly what we thought it was going to be. And even when those did, that 
that brutal, hot Minnesota sun, maybe not quite, but either way, uh, beat down upon those and caused some of those tomatoes to shrivel up and to die. These people that are being spoken of here in the book of Jude are like those clouds that are carried about without water, those plants that grow up and they look like they're going to do so well, but they kind of wither and not much really comes off of them. And notice it even says without fruit. There's really no reality to anything that they're showing forth in regard to the fruit of salvation in their life. It's not real. It's an illusion. But I want you to hold your place here and go back with me to the book of Psalms. Maybe you know where I'm going with this, but Psalm chapter 1. And notice what it says here. Psalm 1 and verse number 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. This is a man who fills himself with the word of God, loves the word of God, he delights himself in it, and meditates on it. It fills his thoughts, it consumes him, And notice verse number 3, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. If you will fill yourself with the word of God and delight yourself in the word of God, did you know you will find stability in your life? I mean, there's just a, there, there's a stability. Why? Because you're anchored to the rock that doesn't move. You're, you're, you're seeking after and serving a God that doesn't change. And so no matter what the world does, and no matter what the winds of doctrine are today, and no matter what the storms of life may bring, you stand. Because, not because you're strong, but because... He's strong, and because you filled yourself with his word, and he strengthens you. And so this is saying that the blessed man is like that tree planted by the rivers of water. What a contrast from those people spoken of in the book of Jude, those apostates. Notice verse 4, though, here in uh, Psalm 1. It says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. That, that's the difference. The blessed man, the the godly man, he's grounded in the word of God. He's built up himself in the most holy faith. He's stable and strong. And when the winds blow, when the storms come, when apostasy comes, he remains and he stands firm. He stays in love with the Lord. But the ungodly, no, they're different. They're not really, there's no reality. There's no authenticity to their faith. They're just carried about with every wind of doctrine. They're just blown around. They're they're not producing fruit. But the, the one who fills himself with the word of God builds up himself on the most holy faith. Now, he has stability in his life. Then go back to Jude, if you would, please. Jude 1. And look at verse number 21 again. Keep yourselves... In the love of God, looking 
for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Amen. Here in these last days, what are we to do? Folks, we are bombarded all the time by opposition. Opposition to the truth. Do you know how many lies that we're being sold constantly? I mean, it's ridiculous. It can be hard. What are we supposed to do? Well, we're to keep ourselves in the love of God, building up ourselves in our most holy faith, and we're to be looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What is it talking about? It's, we're, we're to be anxiously awaiting His return. We ought to be looking and watching every day with this mentality in mind. Today could be the day that my Lord returns. I, I mean, I understand. Many of us have heard that our, our entire lives. And that's one of the reasons that so many people are going to be caught off guard when Christ does return. Because like Peter said in 2 Peter, there are going to be those scoffers in the last days and say, where's the promise of His coming? Hey, since, since the world began, since the foundation of the world, everything has remained the same. So they won't be ready when Christ returns. But we, we're not of the, the night, we're of the day and the children of the light, and we ought not to be caught off guard at the return of Christ. I want to be ready and waiting for Him. Folks, if we want to be able to stand in these days of error and wickedness and apostasy. It really is very simple. These are very simple instructions for us. Keep yourselves in love with God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Building up yourselves in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Just stay faithful. Stay watching. Stay ready. Stay seeking the Lord. And we'll be able to stand in these evil days. Now, Jude wanted to write about the common salvation. But it was needful to write and exhort us that we would earnestly contend for the faith. What he's talking about is contending for the faith in our own life, in our own home. I, I, I want to be able to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints in my life, that when Christ returns, that I'll be just as in love with God as I was the day I was saved, more so actually. I, I, I want to contend for the faith that is because the attack is real and it's personal and it's coming against us day by day by day. So the instruction, keep yourselves in the love of God. Earnestly contending for the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for our time in your word tonight and this admonition from the book of Jude. Would you help us, Lord, to stay in love with you in these days of apostasy in which we live? It's hard, Lord, to watch all of the attacks that it seems that we come under from without as well as from within, lies and errors and wickedness, and then sadly watching those that we love so many times uh, falling prey to these wolves that come in in sheep's clothing. But Lord, would you help us to earnestly contend for the faith in our own lives, to be able to stand, to stand for truth and stand for right. And most of all, Lord, help us to stay in love with you, that we might remain faithful unto the coming of our Lord and Savior.
I pray, Lord, that you would work even in this invitation time and that you just continue to work in our hearts as we meditate on these things and dwell on these things. Help us, Lord, to seek to draw near unto you. And if there be someone here tonight that does not know Christ as their Savior, I pray that they would deal with that tonight, that they'd come to him in repentance and faith and be saved. So bless, Lord, in this invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you stand with me tonight? And as we stand before the Lord, I'd ask you to listen to his voice through his word. If there are some things you'd like to talk to him about, the altars are open. If you'd like to come and pray at this place, I'd invite you to do that. If you want to pray right there in your seat, you can do that as well. And friend, if you're here tonight and you're not sure that you're saved, maybe, maybe the word of God struck a nerve in regard to those who are crept in unawares, those who play the game of Christianity, but there's no truth, there's no reality to it. You've never really received Christ. He's never changed you. You don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Tonight, can I just tell you, we don't know how long we have on this earth, and you don't know when the judgment is going to come and when you're going to stand before God. But here's one thing you can know. God loves you. Jesus died for you and he wants you to be saved. If you'd like to come and talk to someone about that tonight, we'd love to show you from the word of God how you can be saved. If you have any other things that you would like to talk about or pray about, we'd gladly try and help you. But tonight, just ask yourself, am I a child of God? And then secondly, am I keeping myself in love with him? Or am I allowing other things to come in and to be a distraction Am I allowing other things to take my affection and my love? And if that's the case tonight, can I just admonish you and encourage you in love? Keep yourself in the love of God. Draw near to Him. Get into the Word of God. Get faithful in your prayer life. And friend, you won't be able to help it. He'll just fall in love with Him because He's so wonderful. Let's earnestly contend for the faith together as we seek to know God, to love God, and to live for Him in these last days.